Good morning. Um, I'm so pleased to be here with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Kate. I'm an intern here at the church working part-time, and I'm a student across the street, so you might see a bit more of me in the future. Um, This morning, I'm going to share with you about something that's really close to my heart, um, talking about telling other people about Jesus. Um, And conveniently, my boyfriend, Ben, um, had a situation happen to him on Friday that perfectly illustrates this, so I'm going to share that with you this morning. He was walking home from youth group, um, which he helps out at the church in London, England, where he lives, and he was walking home. He stopped off at a fish and chip shop, grabbed his chips as he does every Friday night, and he was walking home, and he passes the same pub he always passes to get home, and a man burst out of the pub on the side door, and he was clearly distressed. He wasn't crying, but he was really upset, and he just came out and leaned against the outside wall of the pub, and Ben noticed him and kept walking. And he got all the way down the street, and he just stopped. He was like, he heard kind of a Holy Spirit prompting God telling him, go back and talk to that man. And he was like, I don't want to. (laughs) Don't make me do that. So he turned around and stood, saw the man at the end of the road, and went, all right. And so he walked over up to this man and said, hi, you look upset. Can I sit with you? And he said, yeah. So Ben sat down, so there's these two men, we'll call the other guy Fred, Uh, not that you'd ever run into him, but we'll call him Fred, and he was sat against the pub, back against the wall, feet out on the ground, and Ben joined him, and they started talking, and Ben went, hold on, are you from France? And the guy said, yeah, and Ben teaches French, so he started speaking in French together, and then Ben was kind of like, what's going on, what's happening, and the man proceeded to share this tragic story kind of state his life was in. He, his girlfriend had just broken up with him of three years. His mom had just phoned from France and is ill and, and dying. And he just, I think at that moment, was just given up. He said, what's the meaning of this, all of this? And he found himself outside of this pub. You know, and it was just such an opportunity for Ben to tell him, I've been there too. You know, I, I had no hope. You know, he has a very similar story. He found Christ after the end of a relationship that was really long and hopeful for him, and it ended, and he thought, what was the hope here? So Ben got to share with him, you know, it's hard when there's no, when you sense no meaning in life, but got to share his story, his testimony with this guy. And um, he got another prompting from God that was like, Ben, you're going to have to pray for him. And he was like, don't make me do it, God. But he prayed with him. They exchanged phone numbers. They hugged. They're going to meet up again. And this guy just felt so much relief. You could see it in him. And I, I returned after class to many video messages from Ben, just elated. He was so excited about what just happened. He's like, Kate, that's never happened to me before. I did nothing. God did all of it. He just used me to meet one of his children. You know, Ben, all he was doing was walking home. He wasn't looking for somebody to tell about Jesus. He wasn't like, I've got my chips, I'm on my way home, and I'm going to tell one man about Jesus. He was just walking home, but God spoke to him, and he stopped, and he got to tell this man his story. You know, Fred, our friend, was sat there broken, lonely, and hopeless, and just by Ben stopping and talking to him, it was God's way of communicating that God loved him. that he would send one of his other children to meet this guy in his brokenness and his loneliness and say, I love you, and there's more to life than this. Um, you know, when God's at work, usually 
well, a lot of things happen. But when God's at work, there's usually a ripple effect and an aftertaste. There's a ripple effect. Now, this story, little Fred does not, he's not little. I don't know why I called him little. Fred <laughs> doesn't know his story is being shared here in Canada. But when God's at work, this, the story keeps traveling and people are affected by it. And we don't know what's going to happen to Fred. Perhaps they'll never meet up. Perhaps he'll come to church and give his life to Christ. But we know that God encountered him there using Ben. So anyways, it was just a really uplifting story to hear God at work. We're going to jump into John, John chapter 4, a story you probably know quite well. No pun intended, you'll see why. Um, We're going to jump into John chapter 4 of Jesus and the Samaritan woman. If you want to follow along, you can open up your Bibles. My translation here is slightly different, but we've got Jesus here and he's traveling back to Galilee. Um, And there's different routes he can take, but the quickest route his GPS says is through Samaria. So there he goes with his disciples, his little community walking along through Samaria. And he's tired from his journey, and he sits down around noon by himself at a well. So we're going to be looking at this story. I should have prefaced it with this. We're going to be looking at the story to see how Jesus evangelizes and tells other people about himself. And so here we have Jesus sat at a well by himself at midday. And what's odd about this? Well, Jesus is alone. His disciples have gone into town to buy lunch, I presume, and he's tired. But the weirdest thing is he's a Jew in Samaria, and Samaritans and the Jews did not have a good standing long relationship. It was hostile to say the least. Um, It's not like a soap opera where you blink and Brittany's mad at Stephanie because of this, and then tomorrow so-and-so's mad at so-and-so for this. This was a long-standing rivalry, kind of like enemies and in your territory, like the Rough Riders here for the Banjo Bowl. We know that's a long-standing rivalry. Um, But Jesus was present in this space where he was unlikely to be found. So Jesus was present. Keep moving, and a woman arrives. She's a Samaritan woman, and she arrives to fetch some water. And he just asks her for a drink. He goes, could I have some water? And baffled, she responds, Why would you, a Jewish man, ask me, a Samaritan woman, um, for a drink of water? She was voicing her understanding of the disparity between their social standings, um, the irregularity of their contact. You know, he's a religious teacher. He shouldn't be seen in public speaking to this woman. Um, But he was partaking in something different. He wasn't holding himself accountable to these social understandings of that time. His priorities were in line. He didn't see her as a woman or a Samaritan. He just saw her as a person, and he needed a drink. He had his priorities set, and he was present. As Jesus um, responds to this woman, this is always quite funny to me, the way I read this. She says, "Why, why would you ask me for a drink? And he said, well, if you, if you really understood who was asking you, you'd actually be asking me for this living water I have. And she responds, I love it, totally unaware of what he's trying to say. She's like, well, you don't have a bucket. How would you get this living water, even if you had it? Um, Which is totally how I'd respond as well. And he goes on to explain the beauty of this living water, that everyone who drinks the water that he gives won't be thirsty again. But it's different than what she pulls from the well every day. There's something that he has to offer is immensely different. And her, just on the, I could see her on the edge of the well saying, 
I want part of this living water. Let me in. And Jesus here is proclaiming the truth of um, what he has to offer as the Messiah, what God's love offers us. He's proclaiming the truth. He could have just, you know, gotten the water from her, drank it, and left, but he saw it and seized it as an opportunity. He was present, yet his priority is online, and he was proclaiming the truth of who he was. This is the best part of the story. Then Jesus tells her, go fetch your husband. Go get him. And she goes, I don't. Kind of being loose with the truth here, she says, I don't have a husband. And he goes, well done. You have told the truth. You don't have a husband, but you've had five in the past, and the man you're with now is not your husband. And you can imagine her just standing there being like, how does he know? Who is this guy that's standing in front of me? And he wasn't condemning her for her actions, but telling her that he knew who she was, that he knows the small details of her life, no matter who she is. She's a Samaritan woman. She's made bad choices. It didn't matter. He was telling her, I know you. I know who you are. He reveals his power through the tiny little detail about her life. He reveals God's mighty power through him. He reveals that he's the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. And then closing in on the end of John 4, um, the disciples return. um, And they see Jesus speaking to this woman. They're like, he must be really hungry, like he's going mad. How is he talking to this woman, the Samaritan woman in public? So they go up to him and they offer him food, like, please, Lord, eat. And he says, no, I've got food much greater than theirs. My food is to do the will of who who sent me and to complete his work. So just in the same way, he's using food and water in a way to illustrate that those essential things we have and need in life are not essential to him. What's essential to him is to see people encounter the gospel, to see people live off of the love that he has to offer. He goes on to say, you guys are, you keep telling me the harvest is coming in four months. The food will be ready in four months. But he says, guys, stop and look. I say, look around you. The harvest is ripe. He says, you know, we're waiting and waiting and waiting for these opportunities um, to harvest. But actually, my harvest is the people that are around me. And I've come so that they may know me. So we have the Samaritan woman. You're kind of like, where has she gone? Um, you know, Jesus is now talking to his disciples, and she's gone, astonished, ran back to her town, telling everybody, I think I just met the Messiah. Like, he knows everything about me. Come and see. You know, she runs, just having a small encounter with God, runs off and becomes the biggest evangelist of her town, goes back and spreads the word of who God is. The disciples, well, they learn about God's perspective. They learn that, you know, what they might see to their naked eye, a harvest. Um, God understands it differently. Their perspective begins to change. And I just could see Jesus, like, walking away from that situation, like, dusting off his hands. I've just given the best tutorial in evangelism. So through this woman at the well, we see that Jesus is present. His priorities are in line. He proclaims the truth. His power is revealed. And we see what God's perspective is. 
and our earthly surroundings. Jesus met with this woman. He asked her for a drink. He saw an opportunity to tell her who he was. And she was changed by that. It's just this incredible story. And it just makes me think that's what the gospel is. You know, where Jesus meets us in a situation where we don't expect him to. In our brokenness, and our hurt, with our sins, with all our choices behind us, with our five husbands, whatever it might be, God meets us. And he comes and says, I know you. I know all of you. I know your mistakes. I know your hurts. And I know your worries. But I love you. <laughs> And that's why there's this urgency of him telling this message, that when he sits with a woman at a well, he can't but reveal who he is to her, because he can see that it will change her life. You know, he goes on to die on a cross carrying the burden and sin of the whole world, so that we could spend eternity with him. There's this urgency, this desire for him to see everyone come to know him. And when I, like, when I was just thinking about being this Samaritan woman, I, it didn't take a lot of imagining to put myself in her shoes, like to be someone who was hurting and at despair. And I could see myself as her so many times in my life. And then she meets God who says, I know you, I love you, and here I am. I've come for you. And she goes running, grasping for air just to tell this incredible story to anyone who will listen. You know, because this is the beauty of the gospel. It's not just for the Jews. It's not just for the Gentiles. It's not just for the Samaritans. It's not just for the Canadians. It's not just for the men. It's not just for the women. It's not just for the old people. It's not just for the young people. It's not just for the people who know all of scripture and have it memorized. It's for everyone. Because for in Jesus, our identity is in him. And this is why I feel like there's such an urgency to give people the opportunity to encounter this gospel. Now, our salvation is not dependent on how many people we tell about Jesus. If you died tomorrow and hadn't told anyone about Jesus, he says, I love you how you are. But to have that incredible gift and not to share it seems silly, doesn't it? I was speaking to Justina earlier this week, and I was talking just about the preach. And she was saying, God always gives me this picture her worst fear, she hates water. I hope that's okay that I'm sharing it. I am. She is so scared of water and swimming. And she said, God always gives me her this picture of her in a boat with a bunch of lifesavers and everybody else kind of around her drowning. Because to her, that is the worst thing that she could see someone else experience. And it's like standing on that boat. And you would obviously, you know, throw out those lifesavers you wouldn't just hold on to them and think, oh, they might be offended if I throw them a lifesaver because they might think that I don't think that they can swim. You know, you wouldn't say that. You'd be throwing them as lifesavers and they can pick it up if they want to. Right. I hope I've convinced you that there's this need, this urgency to tell people about Jesus and who he is. And we're just going to buzz through some practical ways in which we can do that in our everyday lives. I watched a talk, one of the Alpha videos, done by Nikki Gumbel, the founder of Alpha. It's a a course on Christianity, if you've not heard of it. And he said, whenever you tell people the gospel, it has an effect because it's the power of God. 
Whenever you tell people the gospel, it has an effect because it's the power of God. Now we might think that in order to evangelize or in order to tell someone about Jesus and to tell them the gospel that we need to see their life changed in front of us, but he might not. But that little seed you plant in someone has the power to change them because it's God. It's not you. It's God. And when we encounter God, he gives us this amazing promise that we have his spirit in us. I think I have it here somewhere. Romans 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. You know, the same way that Jesus interacted with that Samaritan woman, you are capable of in your everyday life, at your workplace, at your home, in the streets. Revival is sat in your seat with you right now. If we want to see people encounter God's kingdom, we just got to talk to them, don't we? My first practical tip would be initiate contact. Be present like Jesus was. Talk to people. Our world is really busy. Everyone's zooming around doing a million different things, not looking for anyone to talk to them or tell them anything. But actually, just by being present to people, they might come to know Jesus just a little bit more. You know, you could tell them your story. It doesn't have to look like, you know, I, I know the living water source. I'll tell you about it. Or you need Jesus in your life. It doesn't have to sound like that. It could be, I think Ben used his story brilliantly to say, you know what? I was broken too. When you come to people with your brokenness and your hurt as a human being, they can, they can relate to you and they can see the hope of Jesus through that. You know, it's not your job to persuade them or tell them the right information, but rather just to hold the door open for them and say, like, this is what happened to me. This is what I experienced. God's waiting in there for you, and he loves you. I'll just hold the door. It's not pushy. It doesn't have to be. You know, we just have to love people. You know, I watched a talk on I watched a bunch of talks on talks on evangelism that you probably should have watched instead of hearing me talk about it, but maybe next week. <laughs> but one guy said, "If you want to be a Christian in the real world, don't complain at your restaurant when your food doesn't come for forty five minutes. Don't complain." And that's a funny illustration because I mean, you are paying for a service. We can talk about that later. But just being start like so different. Um, to show that you have a love and a grace and a hope that's something different than all these non-believers don't have. You know, in our situations, especially here in Winnipeg, we are like, most of us are paid to be in situations surrounded by people who don't believe in Christ. And God's put you in this situation. He wants to use you where you are in ways that you're comfortable with and capable of. Um, and at the end of the week, he gives you a paycheck and goes like, well done, thank you for being at your workplace. You know, we're given so many opportunities to just radiate the love of Christ wherever we are. So we just need to initiate contact. We need to love people. And lastly, I would just suggest that we rely on God's Holy Spirit. You know, he'll tell us when to talk. He'll tell us when to stop. He'll tell you to turn around and walk back down the street and talk to that man. You know, we're just a vessel that God's using to bless other people. In the same way I expect that you shared earlier, and I briefly shared, you know, it was just through an invitation 
from a friend saying, come and see, come and see. Invite people along. And that's why in this Christmas Advent season, it's a great practical application. Just hand someone a business card. It's a, it's a little tiny gesture. Hand them that and say, come and see. Oh, there we go. Come and see. Come and see what God has for you. You know, we need to pray for opportunities. We need to rely on God to turn up and show us people that he wants to minister to. This week, while I was working on this, um, I, I just said, God, I don't talk to anyone about you. I'm at school all week, and I say nothing. Or, like, I feel like I'm, like, the worst witness, the worst person to stand up here and talk about this. I said, God, give me an opportunity. And the next morning, I was at school, and one of my classmates, um, she just asked me, what are you doing this weekend? She never asks questions like that. And I was like, yes. I'm preaching on Sunday at the church I work at, and I'm going to be spend all weekend working on it. And she was like, oh? And then class started, <laughs> which was hilarious. But, um, you know, I got to tell her, even that brief, brief telling and openness about my life and how integral God is in it um, allowed her a little glimpse into God's kingdom. So pray for these opportunities. Rely on God's spirit. Initiate contact with people and just love them. Now, Pastor Rick's not here, and he'll probably be like, Kate, mention Acts. You're supposed to be talking about Acts. We're doing a series in Acts. Um, So I will. Um, The last verse in this chunk of scripture we've been looking at in Acts says, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. The Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. You know that story about Ben? I'm banking on telling that one for a couple months before the next one happens that he does that I can use (laughs) for the next couple months. But that is not what God expects. When the church was starting, this happened daily. How exciting. Like, if I were to tell you the last time I helped lead someone to Christ, I don't think I'd want to share that publicly, you know? I live vicariously (laughs) through others, clearly. But the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It happened every day because these people of the early church were sharing urgently this news that they heard so that other people might be saved. Alan Scott is a, a pastor in a church in Northern Ireland that I encountered a couple times while I was in England. And their church is amazing. It's in a place called causeway coast i want to say um you can fact check me on that one and it's a small town but about one in 30 people there are christians and they heavily heavily rely their all their funds of their church go into their street ministry and one guy is on staff um and his job is to bring one person to christ every day that was how they hired him and that's his job and one day he said to his daughter how many people do you think i'll lead to christ today and she said ten he was like, oh my goodness. So he went out and he met three people on the street and ended up encountering them and leading them to Christ. And he got to lunch with his wife and he's like, our daughter is going to be so disappointed. <laughs> I've only led three people to Christ. And she's like, oh, she'll understand. She's not God. She didn't, 10 was just for fun. And he went out, turned the corner and saw seven high school boys, talked to them and saw them all come to Christ. He had high expectations and he was praying urgently to see these people come to Christ. Um, and they did. Anyways, I didn't mean to tell that story. What I wanted to say was that Alan Scott says, we don't have it all, we don't need to have it all together, 
but that shouldn't stop us from giving it all away. We're all equipped to do this. You know, it's God working through us. It's nothing about us. It's not, no magic trick from us. It's not like when I have read the whole New Testament, then I will bring people to Christ. Oh, when I, you know, um, do this theology course, or when I go abroad and learn things at New Wine, then, then I can do these things for God. He says, no, I met you in your brokenness. I loved you in your brokenness. And you can bring people to me in your brokenness. I have one more quick story and then we'll close. Um, Alan Scott in one of his preaches also told this story about a scarecrow. He said, um, scarecrows are put in fields to keep crows away from the fields, correct? Yeah. Um, A smart crow, when seeing a scarecrow, would say, hey guys, that's the field we should go to, right? He would say, that is where, if you see a field without a scarecrow, skip it. Go to the field with a scarecrow. That is where you'll find the fruit. It'll be ready for harvest. Um, and he says that this is like us. When we encounter somebody, and you know, and your throat closes up, and your hands get all sweaty, and you're like, I do not want to do this. I do not want to tell them about Jesus. It's, also, it's almost like the enemy scaring you off, but actually, what it should show you is that there's a harvest there, ready to be reaped, ready to be taken. That scarecrow sometimes is just a sign that, you know, there's something there ready, ready to be harvested. So through this story about the Samaritan woman, and if Rick asks next week, tell him I heavily talked about Acts. Um, <laughs> and through this early church in Acts, we see them just growing in number. We see Jesus ministering to people, bringing them to Christ. You know, we heard a story about Ben just talking to somebody on the street. We can all do this. Um, And we're just going to spend a bit of time praying for three things. Some of us here might not actually have accepted Jesus or have wanted or committed or accepted, yeah, accepted Jesus into their lives yet. I want to pray for those of you who might want to encounter some of God's love that I've been talking about. Second thing we're going to pray for is for people who have done that, but feel like they're in a dry desert season where they just need that refilling of God's spirit to encounter his love again so that we can go out and do that this week. And thirdly, we're going to pray for an opportunity to tell people this week, to say something to love someone differently. Pray for specific opportunities for all of us to see this in action. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to leave some pauses. And if that section of prayer that I'm praying is really correlating to you, just soak into it and just pray it along with me. And if it doesn't, then be praying for others around you in your head, in your mind, out loud if you'd like, um, for those that we're praying for. Right, let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you love us. God, we thank you that you died for us. We thank you that in our brokenness, you save us. God, that you love us just how we are. And you came to the earth so that we might know, we might know that and that we could secure eternity with you. God, we're sorry for the ways in which we, we, ignore you (laughs) 
and we put you on the sidelines of our lives. So God, we pray that you would come and fill us now, Lord. For those of us here who haven't encountered you, but we want to say that we love you and we declare that you are Lord. God, I pray, pray now, would you stir that in their hearts? God, we say that you are king above all else, that we're choosing to follow you, Lord. And God, for some of us, we know you in our heads. We've known you in our hearts, but we feel like you're far away. God, I pray now, by your spirit, would you fill us afresh with a new revelation of your gospel um, so that we can eagerly desire to bring people to your kingdom once again. Holy Spirit, we pray that you fill us now with your spirit and give us new revelation of who you are. And God, for all of us, we pray for really specific opportunities at work, at home, on the street, anywhere you please, God, for opportunities to see this in action, to see that it's not that scary, to see that your kingdom matters more than my comfortability, <laughs> that, God, we can bring revival to, to downtown, to Winnipeg, to Canada. God, we'd love to see your kingdom reign here. And would you help us to see that we can be part of that? Yeah, God, we thank you so much. We thank you for these stories of evangelism. We thank you um, that you're far greater skilled than we are and that can, you can use us to further your kingdom. Amen. Amen.